the distinction between God and angels. So we should say with regard to God, um, they are finite spirits. They do not fill heaven and earth. They are not in every place. They are not omniscient. They are not omnipotent. Uh, they are not omnipresent. Uh, these are things that God is as pure spirit that they aren't. So while they may be pure spirits, they're not, they're not infinite or unbounded in their being. There is a, there is a natural limitation, uh, that is, that belongs to them, not as a result of a fall, but because of a natural limitation. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend and co-host James Dalzell. James, how are you today? Jonathan, I'm doing well and uh, lo looking forward to our conversation and uh, even a future conference that will follow off of this uh, in October of this year. Yes. So I want to say that this conversation is was prompted by um, the upcoming Gap Center Conference. Uh, the, the speaker will be Dr. James Dolezal, and he will be he will be speaking on the doctrine of angels. And you know, this is something that we don't talk about very often, and yet it's an important uh, it's an important piece of our understanding of the scriptures and of our uh, grasp of biblical doctrine. Actually, in the Bible, angels play a fairly significant role, even in understanding aspects of our Christian life. And so, if you're able to make this Gap Center conference, um, you that uh, you it will be a valuable time. But we want to give a, a little sort of taste of that now, James. We've talked in the past about the ministry of holy angels. And we did a, a an episode, I believe, a conversation about the fall of rebel angels. And so let's just recap briefly without, without rehashing the entirety of those conversations. What is an angel? How is it distinct from God on the one hand and humans on the other? Because we sort of see angels in this in-between uh, position. So what what is an angel, James? Let's start there. Well, they're the other intellectual creatures. Uh, they're the other creatures whose chief end is the same as our own. Uh, if our if man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, uh, it is also the chief end of the holy of the angels, uh, holy and unholy. The unholy ones obviously do not fulfill that moral obligation in their rebellion. Um, there's a strange there's a strange um, relationship that we have a commonality with angels in as much as their purpose and even their reward of beatific vision is the same that we hope for, though obviously they receive it not by way of salvation. Only angel, only the holy angels will receive that joy, and they don't receive it uh, because they were purchased from sin because they never fell. In terms of what they are, but so there are commonalities. Uh, their chief end is the same as our chief end. Their basic equipment is the same as ours. Uh, they are intellectual. They have, they're endowed with original righteousness. Um, in fact, in the older Reformed writings in the 16th and 17th century, um, it's almost a uniform consensus that they too are created in God's image. Um, you'll find this in, in several uh, earlier Reformed authors. Um, and yet, for all of that, uh, angels aren't men with wings. Um, even if sometimes they appear uh, in visions as men with wings, and sometimes they appear in visions or in angelophanies as men without wings, um, and yet for all that, those are just ways of appearing visionary or in a kind of angelophany, but that's not really their nature to have a body or to be winged, not two, four, or six. We see images in scripture of them having different numbers of wings, uh, which denote their swiftness. They are created pure spirits. Maybe that would be the most precise way to put it. 
Um, and we have multiple texts in scripture indicating that these are spirits and that that's their unique nature. That's their way of being. Um, we are, we are spirits, but not pure spirits, meaning we are spirits who are naturally conjoined to a material part, a body. Um, in the, in a catechism we use with our kids, uh, we add a, a children's catechism. We ask the question, um, what is God? And we give the answer, uh, God is a spirit and does not have a body like men, which is true. But that doesn't, to Jonathan, to the question you ask, how are they distinct from God? That doesn't actually distinguish God from them or them from God, because you could say the same thing about Gabriel. Gabriel is a spirit and does not have a body like men. Um, and so that alone doesn't really locate the distinction between God and angels. So we should say, with regard to God, um, they are finite spirits. They do not fill heaven and earth. They are not in every place. They are not omniscient. They are not omnipotent. Uh, they are not omnipresent. Uh, these are things that God is as pure spirit that they aren't. So while they may be pure spirits, they're not they're not infinite or unbounded in their being. There is a there is a natural limitation uh, that is that belongs to them, not as a result of a fall, but because of a natural limitation. They're also this gets a little technical, and you'll indulge me. I think they're relatively simple. Uh, meaning that they are not composed of matter and form, but rather they're pure forms or pure spirits. How are they not God? Um, there is still a composition in them, limitation of existence and essence, and then even of substance and accidents. They can change their state morally, like the the angels who rebelled were once holy and then weren't. Um, so they're mutable. Um they're changeable. Uh, in these ways, they're unlike God. How are they unlike man on the other side? Um, they're not like men with wings. Uh, they don't have a material part uh, naturally, which means, and I, I don't want to explore all that at length here. We might talk a little bit more about what that means at the conference in October, uh, but it means that every limitation that a body places on us naturally, I don't just mean the body when it's sick or the body as it gets older or the body corrupting, but I just mean the body as such. There are limitations on the on our spirit, on our soul that are placed by our body. Whatever those natural limitations might be that belong to the body, we can say that angels don't exhibit or experience those sorts of limitations. And so there's a relative, there, compared to us, there's a relative freedom uh, that they have, at least freedom from every way a body might place a limit upon us. Maybe that's a kind of broad categorical answer. All right. So that gets us into some of the broad, almost the metaphysics of angels. And, I and know you, you know, said, you knew gonna... I was going to do that. Well, I knew you would, and I knew you, you're you going to do a little more of that at Gap, but that's not the substance really of of, of where we want to get to here. I, th I, think, I think it might be helpful for us to turn a little bit and say, okay, given all that, um, what should our response be to that extraordinary nature? I mean, the fact of the matter is you've described spirit beings who are like us in, in some ways, but unlike us in some really significant ways. Um, and, and yet in the Bible, they seem to play a role. They, they it, it's, you know, it's not just that the Bible says they're invisible. So don't worry about it. There's something going on out there, but it's not your concern, which, which it could have said. Because there are things we know that the Bible doesn't tell us. Um, there are, we do see through a glass darkly. There are hidden things the Bible says that are of the Lord, but yet angels are not one of those hidden things. At least not entirely. I'm sure there are questions we don't have the answers to. But, 
but they're spoken of a fair amount. So why is that? Why as humans, given this kind of really different, um, you know, these differences, why is it that we need to think about angels and, and, and how should we think about angels? If God's handiwork broadcasts his glory, then these arguably most glorious creatures uh, should not be ignored in as much as they are they are refractions of his glory but but at a at a kind of at, at a level even higher than man uh in terms of their natural equipment and the way that they imitate god um and particularly with regard to the holy angels they are models and exemplars for us as swift and happy doers of his will your will be done on earth as it is in heaven uh the, and we're told in the, the psalms that those who do his will in heaven and who do it swiftly are indeed the holy angels they are they are moral and spiritual exemplars uh, for humans. They are so they're examples to us of how we should be toward God, uh, swift, joyful doers of His will. Um, and in that respect, uh, they serve as as models to us. Um, but also, the, just simply the, their power, their godlikeness, is a way of showing God's glory through the created order. They're also present, Jonathan, at so many of uh, they are pre- they are they they have they have the best seats in the house so to speak for the greatest events in history it would seem creation when all the sons of god sang together for joy job 38 tells us about this there was when god created the material world it seems that the immaterial world of created spirits was already in existence with a front row seat rejoicing and delighting uh, in his handiwork. There was no man there to see it, but there were intelligent creatures there to behold it. Um, we could say the same thing even with regard to the, the the new creation, the advent of his son. It's angels who announce his advent. It's angels who minister to him in the wilderness. It's an angel who ministers to him in the garden when his own disciples are falling asleep, when the when the, the spirit might have been willing, but the, the flesh was greater than the spirit, but not these spirits. There were spirits that ministered to him nonetheless. They're the first ones to announce the gospel. When Christ is risen from the dead, the first creature that proclaims resurrection is an angel to the women who come to the tomb. The creatures who announce both his ascension, his session, and his return on the Mount of Olives are the angels. And when he comes again, he's going to come with a host of angels who aren't just simply spectators, but who are actually, again, doing his will, will, both executing judgment and then also gathering the elect to himself. So why should we care? Um Because we have, uh, because Christ didn't come for angels. He came for fallen men. Though these angels are his attendants and his and the ones who proclaim him and the ones who even minister to him um, in their own unique way during his ministry, it was for us that he came and he came with his angels. He will come again with his angels. And in the meantime, he has left his angels to minister to us on his behalf. So I think for all these reasons, we should have an interest. Um, and that's just the positive side. Um, there's yeah, there's that, a dark right. side too. Well, no, and I want to get into that dark side because one of the texts that is probably most familiar when we think about angels is Ephesians 6, 12, which says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of this darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And without going through and sort of delineating what Paul means by each of those terms, um, can you 
can you touch on that side of it a little bit? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And it's not just that that means because we we ourselves kind of have these inward desires that we wrestle against that aren't necessarily, you know, flesh and blood desires. They're they're internal, they're spiritual, but but actually spiritual beings is what Paul is saying. Some angels fell. We've talked about this in a previous episode um, sometime last year, I think. Some angels fell. And when they fell, it wasn't just a private matter. Oh, poor me. These angels who fell are, in fact, full of hatred and malice, most of all toward the triune God, but then also of those other creatures created in God's image, uh, his his vice regent on earth, um, mankind. And they are liars and they are murderers. And it's us, the humans, to whom they tell their lies and whose lives they seek. Um, C.S. Lewis in his um, kind of metaphorical imaginary uh, book, The Screwtape Letters, uh, almost describes the angels as as wanting to feed on our flesh is almost being nourished by the, by the death and the blood of humans. And I, I think there's something really deeply biblical in that picturing of their agenda in as much as they are liars and they are murderers and they seek our destruction. Now, of course, they don't come saying, I seek your destruction. They come clothed as angels of light. They come because their nature is imperceptible. They come often imperceptibly um, doing their work. And Paul is reminding the Ephesians and all of us that we have enemies and our enemies, our enemies don't take naps. They don't sleep. They are they are vigilant and intent um, on their destructive and malicious agenda, and it is you and your eternal state that they seek to destroy. Uh, to be aware of that, and so like, why does it matter to us? It's not just a kind of fairyland that sort of floats above our heads, but doesn't really touch us in our daily life. This is our daily work, uh, fighting the battles of darkness and the ways that they try to tempt us and lead us astray. Now, with that said, just to pull that back a little bit, maybe this is a good way actually for us to close. Um, how should we think about this in the context of our daily lives? And you, you've described a, a, a grim and and I mean it's true, but a, but a, a a grim picture of the spiritual forces who are at work against us, who aren't just existing out there, but who interface with our lives in in significant ways. The Bible teaches us that. Um, and these are beings who's uh, who are have have significant power. So so do 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 you 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 think about angels a lot, but do you wake up in the morning and worry about them? I mean, are you going through your life and and you know your car breaks down and and you're thinking about angelic causes and 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 you're you know you're you're, you're having trouble going out the door in the morning because you know the are there are these these mighty beings armed against you in invisible ways. Is that, is that how Christians should think? And you mentioned, and if I can even just put a finer point on that, you mentioned earlier some Puritan writers who've written about this in great detail. And, and, uh, and it's true. I mean, a lot of the, the Puritan writings on angels were, were much better and more substantial than ones today. And yet, and yet there was a practical nature to them. So how does this, how does this work itself out in, in your daily Christian life once you start to actually reckon with what the Bible teaches? Well, 
I would say that you shouldn't not think about those things. Um, and again, because angels, even fallen ones, act at a level that is sensibly imperceptible, I think we want to be careful of concluding that every mishap uh, I got stuck behind a train five minutes today uh, coming into the office to record with you. Uh, and, you know, is this because I had something to say and unholy angels were preventing me? Uh, I don't want to say that's impossible. It's just that that's not something that I have some kind of cipher by which I can perfectly. I don't think that's where our concern should be. Our concern should not be trying to figure out, among other causal explanations, was this one perhaps angelic, holy or unholy? Uh, but to but to be aware that they are indeed at work, holy ones on our behalf. They are all ministering. Uh, they're are they not all ministering spirits sent forth for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Uh, Hebrews one fourteen. So we should. I think we should be mindful of the many holy angels who work on our behalf, even if we can't perceive that work. We should be. We should acknowledge that these creatures who do God's will do do His will on our behalf and for our good. Um, I think also with regard to the fallen angels, the, the demons, um, that we should be aware that they too are at work. We should be aware of their strategies. You think of like Thomas Brooks' work, uh, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, and he enumerates at length Satan's devices. I think C.S. Lewis is doing something like that for the 20th century in Screwtape Letters, um, that I think we'd be foolish not to be aware of the ways in which the devil might gain a foothold, even if his getting the foothold isn't something that is sensibly perceptible to us. I think there's another thing that we need to keep in mind, and I and I think of this in a twofold way. Um, Peter and Jude both speak about how we should be, so to speak, toward angels. Uh, and it says of certain foolish and false teachers that they, this is 2 Peter 2, verse 10, that they were self-willed and they do not tremble when they revile angelic glories or angelic majesties. They treat the angels lightly. Um, in fact, what we're told is that even holy angels don't treat other angels lightly because the next verse says, whereas angels who are greater in might and power meaning than, than we are, and, and then these false teachers, do not bring a reviling judgment against them uh, before the Lord. Uh, they say the Lord rebuke you, but they themselves, uh, there, there's a certain, I put it this way, there's a healthy respect that one angel has for another. Um, even that a holy angel like Michael might have for an unholy angel like, uh, like Satan, uh, we're told in Jude, that he does not revile, but he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. I do think that there's a there's a non-trivial, healthy, if I can use the language, um, uh, honor, or at least a kind of recognition, honor for the holy angels, but a recognition of them being greater in might and power than we are, and not treating them uh, lightly or flippantly. I think the unholy angels should be taken seriously. The holy angels too. And I think of this particularly with regard to Paul's admonitions uh, in worship, that there's a certain decorum that is proper, outward decorum that is proper in our worship in as much as angels attend our worship. Uh, that we worship God, but we ascend to a holy mountain and to a holy multitude of, among other creatures, angels. And that for this reason, we should be decorous and reverential in our worship because it's not just us and it's not and i mean people talk about worship being sort you know and even our decorum being sort of culturally conditioned 
but it's also angelically conditioned, which is something that transcends our culture. Um, and I think we should be mindful of that as well uh, when we come to worship. So mindfulness, not you asked, should we worry? I don't think we should worry. Um, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And we've been given resources in the scriptures and in prayer, in the encouragement of the saints, in the ordinary means of grace, and with the extraordinary help of holy angels, so that there's not something to worry about, but certainly something to be mindful and vigilant about, um, nevertheless. Well, James, it's always good to have these conversations with you. I would also say to our listeners, if you want to think about this more and even have a chance to interact with, with James, you can do that at the Gap Bible Series. October 13th and 14th, is the uh, are, those are the dates for Angels, Demons, and the Christian Life with James Dalzell. And, and I'll say for those of you who haven't been to a Gap conference, it's a kind of intimate, maybe fewer than 100 people in a, in a nice uh, – little, uh, very beautiful setting and lots of interaction with the speakers, lots of interaction with each other. So if you haven't been to a gap conference, uh, go to this one, October 13th and 14th, uh, angels, demons, and the Christian life. Also, I would say that for those of you who are interested in thinking about this more, uh, we mentioned a book, uh, the screw tape letters, very famous book that CS Lewis wrote, and we have a couple of copies that we can give away. If you don't have a copy, you can go to uh, placefortruth.org or theologyonthego.org and enter your information for a chance to win that. And also it, with respect to the Ministry of the Alliance in general, if you can give financially, uh, there are very easy ways to do that at alliancenet.org, placefortruth.org. But we really uh, need your support and and ask for it. Uh, and, and if you're able to spread the word about this podcast, there are a couple ways you can do that. You can simply pass it along to someone, or you can rate and review the podcast wherever it is that you download it, and that helps us get the word out. And as always, on behalf of James and myself and the whole team here at the Alliance, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. <laughs>